Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. That's where we are. The series is called Hope from Isaiah. Today is Hope for Mercy, Isaiah 55. We're looking at verses 6 and 7. Those are our focus verses today. Here's the key concept. God is ready to give extravagant mercy. He's ready to give extravagant mercy. Verses 6 and 7 is where we will we'll look in a moment, and you're going to notice that the very first word of verse 6 is seek. Seek. And it reminds me that for many people, life is lived as if it were a quest, but we have often no idea what we're searching for. We go through life with this vague sense that something is missing, that I ought to have something else, I ought to be experiencing something else. There's more, always more. And so we kind of go through life on the lookout, kind of seeking for what is out there, that missing element. But in our verses today, Isaiah is going to remind us that the most important quest of all is that you find the assurance of God's mercy and pardon. When that's missing, you're missing a vital part of life. In fact, the most vital part of life. Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher, a theologian, and a mathematician. He died in 1662, but he wrote about this spiritual quest that we are all on. He writes this, What else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace this infinite abyss that can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God Himself. I told you he died in 1662, and since that time we've had a lot of time to kind of misremember that quote. And so that quote, the last part, has been morphed into say, to, to this saying, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. And even though that's not the exact quote, that is exactly the right sentiment. There is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart, and the worthy quest of the human heart is to seek after God. And here in Isaiah 55, he shows us the components of seeking after God. Whether you're seeking to come to a relationship with faith, in faith to Jesus Christ for the very first time, or you're continuing in that faith journey, we all always ought to be seeking. And that component, first component part of seeking is call on the Lord. The search starts with a call. Call on Him while He is near. Calling on the Lord simply means to pray. If you want to find God, call out to Him in prayer. If you want to know Him more, call out to Him in prayer. I'm reminded that some people say they don't know how to pray. Very often a person will say, well, you know, I'm unfamiliar with prayer and, and I, don't know, I don't know how to pray. I don't think I could do it. And that tells me that Christians who have walked with Jesus for a long time have done a poor job of letting people know what prayer is. In our examples of prayers, we make it sound like prayer is like great literature or erudite speech, like you have to have a certain knack and a certain vocabulary and a certain way with words, and only when you get that way with words can you really pray. That's all wrong. A person who says, I don't know how to pray, doesn't understand that praying is not substantially different than talking. It's just talking with God. Do you know how to talk? Then you know how to pray. 
In fact, do you know how to think? Then you know how to pray. It doesn't always have to come out of your mouth. But the first thing you have to do is call. The most basic prayer of all is a call to God. You call the waiter and you tell him what you want for dinner. You call a friend on the telephone and you discuss what's going on in your life. God says call. Call out to Him regarding your need. The very first need of all of us, mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment that we deserve. And so what is the word that we use to call out to someone when we sense our need or there is an inevitability of punishment? What is the word that we use when we call out? The word is help. That's the most basic prayer of all. Help me, God. I need you. And it may even start with, help me, God. I'm not sure you're listening, but I'm going to try. Help me. You do not need special words. You do not need a degree in prayer development. You do not need to be in a special place on a mountaintop or a stained glass sanctuary. You do not not need to be in a solemn setting or even in a special posture. You just need to call out and say, help me. And in that moment, the search begins and you are seeking after God. But when you call, make sure that what you're calling for and who you're calling to is really the one true God, the God of the Bible. So a lot of people in our culture today, they will label themselves seekers. I'm a, I'm a seeker. But what you really, when you really boil it down, they're really not seeking after God. They're seeking after a religious experience, maybe. They're seeking after a soothing of their conscience, maybe. They're seeking a solution to a problem, and they're seeking some way of experiencing some mystical moment through fake spirituality. They're seeking a lot of things. But when you seek the one true God, you put it all out. See, a lot of people seek God and they say, God, I I need your help. I want you to help me. I'm seeking you, but I don't want to change anything. I seek your help. I want you. I want you to to help me out, but uh, don't get me too involved. Don't get me too into it. In fact, I want your help over on this side, but leave this side of my life completely alone, okay? That's kind of hands off. But over here, I'm seeking. Now, if you're seeking God that way, I can guarantee you, you will not find the one true God. If you've already laid out the boundaries and the destinations, you end up finding something very different than the one true God because guess what? The one true God is not your servant to manage, and He's not your buddy to be a playmate with. The search leads to truth, and it only happens this way. When you say, boundaries are gone, I'm focused on you. I am simply calling out, setting no preconditions. God, help me. I'll have your way with me, but give me mercy. And that's where the search happens. Call to the Lord. Secondly, he says, though, there's more. It's not just calling out to Him. The second component of the true search for God is forsake. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. You see, the positive, happy side of seeking after God, if when you call out to God, the guarantee is He will listen. That's the positive, happy side. There's a harder side. And the harder side is that if you're going to really find mercy, you have to forsake the wickedness that keeps God at arm's length. You see, when you, when you call out to God, it will awaken something in our hearts, a conscience. Something begins to change. And that change, that awakening, is meant to get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
and it will alter the way that we live. There are things we need to pivot away from in order to get toward God. But we can't have it all both ways. Consider this for a moment. A man is having an adulterous affair. His wife knows all about his adulterous affair. She has confronted him with her evidence about this. She has demanded that he cut off this adulterous affair, but he's not going to do it because he wants it both ways. He wants it to, to be having that affair and at the same time having his wife in good relationship with him to the point where he calls his wife on the telephone from the hotel room where he's conducting his affair to seek to connect with her just to make sure everything's fine on that, on that end. And her question is, have you forsaken your affair? And the answer is no. Then you're not really seeking me. And she's right. All you're seeking to do is to justify yourself. All you're seeking to do is to prove that you can manipulate the situation, make it work your way, have all the angles covered to get what you want. But you're not seeking the love of the wife. He's seeking his own way. And I want you to understand that in many situations, God is in the place of that wife. We say we're seeking him, but we don't give up the affair we're having with that particular sin. We say, no, I want it both ways. I want to play all the angles. And God takes your call just like that wife takes the call. But his answer is a little bit different. He says, are you willing to get up, give up that affair? And I will help you give up that affair if you're willing to truly end it but just don't play games with me. But when you're willing, we can move forward. Turn, turn from your wicked way. Forsake that way. Forsake that sin that is holding you back because that sin that is holding you back is killing you. You got to be willing to deal ruthlessly with it. You got to be willing to identify it, to name it, to label it, to call it out. And here, maybe more important than any other time in our history, you need to be willing to take that label of that sin off yourself and not name yourself by your sin. You are not identical to your sin. It is not who you are. Don't wear the label of your sin. That's the crucial lie that Satan is telling our culture today. You are the label of the worst thing you've ever done. That's not true. You're created in the image of God. You're created to have an active, loving relationship with Him. He wants you to cast away that sin which slows you down and weighs you down. Turn from that sin both on the inside and the outside. You notice he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. It's a total, a total turnaround. And what we're talking about in that description, we're talking about repentance. It's an attitude where we hate the sin. We see what it's doing to us and we head in a new direction. And as you repent of that sin and turn to Him in faith by His power and grace, God does the saving. That's the initial repentance. But what I want believers to understand is this process is ongoing. It's constant. We always need to call upon the Lord and then forsake the wickedness in us to grow closer and to grow more in our faith. It's not just feeling bad about sin. It's a determination to change it. Christians say, well, I've done that already. I turned to Christ and now He's my Savior. You never stop repenting in little ways. And as you repent, as you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, I'm turning from, I, I'm forsaking that sin from yesterday. I want more from you. He does the sanctifying and the changing within. It's an ongoing process. I don't know if you've ever piloted a sailboat, but if you know what it means to sail a sailboat, 
you know that one of the things you do continually as you sail in a sailboat is you adjust for the wind. You may be heading in a certain direction and all of a sudden you come to a calm place and you need to alter your course to catch that wind, that breeze once again. In order to make progress towards your destination, you're constantly making small and large adjustments to catch the wind as much as possible. And that is a picture of the Christian life. It's not just a one-time decision and now I'm good. It is a constant adjustment. And allowing sin in your life, it quells the winds of the Spirit, believer. So pretty soon you're not in the center of the momentum-giving breeze of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it may, may not be obvious at first, but pretty soon things kind of feel like drudgery. Pretty soon things feel kind of stagnant. It seems like I'm drifting. And you've got to catch the wind of the Spirit once again. And that's forsaking the thing that's dragging you down. Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let, our fix our, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is an ongoing search. Step one is to call. Step two is to forsake. Step three is to turn toward the Lord. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon Turning to the Lord says, God, I'm not, I'm not running from you anymore. I'm not fooling myself enough to think that I can hide, hide from you anymore. I realize that you witness every deed I've ever done, even those things done in the dark all by myself. But I'm no longer pivoting away from you. I'm pivoting toward you because I want the mercy you promise. I need your help. This is how you start the faith journey, and this is how you continue the journey pivoting towards Jesus every day. And sometimes the guilt of our life, the things that we do, the place that we're in can seem crushing, but in those moments, Jesus invites us, pivot towards me. Because what I have is mercy. Last May, we were just kind of getting used to this lockdown, COVID-19 it was getting warm, one of the first warm evenings and nights that we had. And so our, we slept with our windows open that night. And I was jarred awake in the early morning. The, the sun had come up, so I could see a little bit. But it, well, there was a man. He was about 100 yards away from our house. And he was screaming out in despair. Like I said, the windows were open, and he was crying out with a full voice, What have I done? I have ruined my life. Just like that. My house is near a lake, and the sound was carrying over the lake. What have I done? I have ruined my life. I, jarred, I was jarred awake. I stumbled over to the, out of my bed to put my glasses on so that I could hear better. You see, we know people who... <laughs> that's true. Right? People who don't wear glasses, you don't get that. But i got to put my glasses on here. Hear what's going on. So I put my glasses on, and I, and I went downstairs to get my phone, but thinking maybe he's in trouble. Maybe he's going to hurt himself. I could hear his screams all the way down. I was getting ready to dial 911, but I just looked out to see if I could see him again because I saw him from the upstairs. But by then he had gone. He had moved away. I literally watched the news that night to see if I would hear about this guy. It was so upsetting. That man was in emotional agony. agony. And, and who did he turn to? I don't know what he, who he turned to, but I do know that mercy was waiting for that man. 
from the God of all comfort. Because Isaiah says, listen, this is why you should do this. This is why you should seek the Lord this way. Call on Him. Forsake your sin. Turn to the Lord. Because what? Our God, for He will freely pardon. That's why you should do that. God will freely pardon you. He will have mercy. He doesn't say God might pardon you. Take the chance. He doesn't say God is possibly going to pardon you if you're not too bad. So go for it. God will freely pardon you. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. It's, I was heading in this direction. This was the way I was flowing. This was inevitable. But all of a sudden now, wow, God has forgiven me. Mercy. Things were going a certain way. It seemed like everything was going to be bad and punishment was inevitable. But God has mercy to me. That's what mercy feels like. And Isaiah says he'll freely pardon you. Other translations, you might look in your Bible, because other translations right there at the end of verse 7 says, he will abundantly pardon. I like that. It's not skimpy. He will abundantly. There's a lot of pardon waiting for us. Yes, it's clear that we have sinned, that the punishment is inevitable, but it's now off the table because pardon has come. And the thing of it is, God is announcing through the prophet Isaiah, I'm waiting to do this. God is waiting to do this. He's wanting to forgive. The hand of mercy is out there. He's there first. See, that's surprising to us because that's not the way we give mercy, right? We give mercy on a human level to one another. We say after a while, after the person seems contrite, there's a lot of tears and sorrow. We say, okay. I forgive you, but I'm writing this down. All right, I'll have mercy, but this is going on your permanent record. Or we may have to bring this up again. You see, we, we give mercy grudgingly. Prove it to me that you're really sorry. We give mercy grudgingly. And so we think somehow that's how God gives mercy. It's a grudging mercy. But that's not it at all. Look at the very next verse. For, I will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. See, we've plucked those two verses out of this chapter so many times and never paid attention to the context. And we use those verses to teach that, you know what, things that are unclear to you, God knows all about because He is all-knowing. His ways are, are higher than our ways. And that's true. There are things you cannot understand about life, but God understands everything completely. Yeah, that's true. God has a higher way, a higher purpose for everything that happens. Yeah, all that's true. Those are true things, but that's not the point that's being made here. The point that's being made here is there is a gulf between the way that humans have mercy and God has mercy. The thoughts of God, the ways of God in terms of His readiness and willingness to give mercy and pardon do not resemble the way that we give mercy and pardon on our human level. God is ready to have mercy on His enemies. We are not ready. Oft times. We do it grudgingly. We do it, you do it slowly. And I use the word enemies on purpose. That's what we are before we call on God. And that's what we act like as believers as we rebel against God. James 4.4 4 says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And that's where we all start. And sometimes how even the family members act. But his thoughts are not our thoughts. 
His ways are not our ways. We treat enemies with rage and anger and retribution and revenge. And He says, just come and I will have mercy on you. A mercy that is beyond us. A mercy that you're never going to fathom. That you're not going to understand. It, do it doesn't really compute on a human level. Because the God who offers that mercy, if you would just call, forsake, and turn, the God who offers that mercy knows us better than anybody else. Yet He hangs in there. I mean, who of us would want another human being to have all access to us? Our actions, our thoughts, our words, our schemes, our deeds. Who of us would trust any other human being with all of that access, hearing every word, every plan that was made, we fear that even the best of our friends, even the dearest of our loves, if they had that kind of access, they would write us off as tainted goods. No more am I going to be around you. But God has that access. He has witnessed it all. And He still says, I will abundantly pardon. Call out for mercy and it will be yours. And when do we need it? Verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. In other words, the opportunity to receive this mercy is not eternal. It doesn't last forever. I read a story about a pilot who was flying his small plane and he encountered some trouble. So he called the control tower to get some instructions. He was the only one in the plane and he was the pilot. And he says, pilot the tower, I'm 300 miles from the airport. I, I'm 800 feet above the ground. I'm out of fuel. I'm descending rapidly. The controls are not responding. I'm going into free fall. What should I do? The response comes, tower to pilot. Repeat after me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the rest. What's the message? It's too late. There's nothing to be done. It's too late. And there will come a time when it will be too late for mercy. We have to get that. It comes when you close your heart, when your heart grows cold. It comes when, you when you, you're called to taste the goodness of the Lord, but you spit it out because there's exotic tastes out in the world that you like better. And the window of opportunity for mercy closes. It's not forever, but it is real. And it can happen. Mercy. I read about a, a man in an Irish village whose son was wild. He was drinking, carrying on, and uh, he had a reputation in that town. And his neighbor came to him and said, uh, how's the lad doing? Very bad. He's drinking, behaving badly. Oh, said the neighbor. Well, if he was my son, I'd put him out. And the response was, yes, and so, was I, so would I if he were your son. But he's my son. Mercy is available from the Father through Jesus today. Maybe it's for the first time. But for the 51st time, call out to Him. I'm going to invite you just to pray with me. We're just going to silently pray for a moment. And maybe you need to call out to Jesus for the first time for His mercy and come to faith. Or maybe as a believer, call out to Him with a specific item in mind. For this, I need your mercy. Spend a moment alone with God.
Lord, mercy is a gift, but you freely give it. You are ready. Your hands of mercy are being held out to each one of us. And we know why we need it. And we know how to gain it. Break our pride enough so that we will say yes to it and change the trajectory of our lives. We want to be more like you. And we thank you that to do that, we need mercy. Freely give it, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. The team has come to lead us in a closing song this morning, so would you stand together with us as we sing? For a minute, what Pastor Mark was talking about today, I think oftentimes when we are struggling to pray or to hear God or feel God as believers, it helps to call upon what God has done for us in our lives, what he has saved us from, what he has brought us through. That reminds us that he is faithful and he is near and he is going to do it again, right? Um, and so I just, I encourage you to testify over yourself of what God has done, what he's delivered you from, name it. Talk to God. God, you've been there. You pulled me out of the dirt. You pulled me out of my sin. You cleansed me from my evil and my wicked ways. And you've given me new life. And you've given me something to have joy about, right? We declare that today because God is faithful. He is good. And we remember what he's done for us in our lives. Join me in singing this. What he's done for me is so amazing. The love he has for me, I cannot explain. All I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now.
this place in just a moment, but if you have a prayer request, some need for prayer in your life, I invite you to come down to the prayer area by the organ there. Our prayer counselors will wait for you, and they will pray with you. You slip forward in a moment. But first, let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that mercy is great and grace is free. Lord, we pray that we would be the examples of those who give mercy since we have received it in you. In this week, we pray that we point to Jesus. Help us represent you well. Dismiss us with your blessing, for we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for, thanks for coming today. done for me.